The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Get healthy and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. What does it feel like to get out and run? What does it feel like to get up in the morning and do yoga? What does it feel like to you to move your body, to lift weights, to participate in a sport? Do you remember what it used to feel like before you were vegan? And what does it feel like now? That's what we're going to be talking about today with a wonderful filmmaker and two athletes who are featured in the documentary From the Ground Up. I'm Victoria Moran, your host for this program. You can find out more about everything that goes on at Main Street Vegan on our website, MainStreetVegan.net. We have a weekly blog, a documentary in the works, books to show you, and an in-person academy that trains vegan lifestyle coaches and educators. Uh, Thanks for visiting and uh, getting to know us better because I want to provide for you in this program and everything that we do at Main Street Vegan what supports you on your vegan journey and your whole life adventure. So after the break, we're going to be meeting a couple of athletes that I've actually wanted to interview for a long time. We'll be talking with Tony Presley, who is a soccer defender And then Tori Washington, who is a bodybuilder and just might have the reputation in the vegan and sporting world as maybe the nicest guy out there. We'll see. And I've got a really nice guy right here, Santino Panico, and he is the producer, writer, and director of the feature-length documentary From the Ground Up that you can get right now on iTunes and all sorts of places. He'll tell you where. He made the movie while working full-time and 
finishing a master's degree. So if you have a dream in a drawer somewhere and say, oh gosh, I just don't have the time, perhaps Mr. Panico can uh, inspire you to get it out and do something with it. It did take four and a half years to finish the film, and a great deal was funded with his own money. So I think it's safe to say that this is a passion project. Welcome, Santino. Thank you for having me, Victoria. It's an honor and a privilege. I appreciate it. Well, it's wonderful to have you here in person, I might add. And we also found out that we share a Chicago connection. Do you know that Chicago now has the National Vegetarian Museum? Really? Yeah, it's starting just as a um, mobile uh, display going around to libraries in the Chicago area and the suburbs. And the plans are for the future of freestanding uh, museum because there's a lot of veg history in Chicago. That's pretty incredible. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots going on all over. I'm behind. (laughs) For sure. So you're not behind. I didn't mean for sure on that. So why'd you make a movie? So the idea for From the Ground Up came from, I, my hero is Jane Goodall and I've been inspired by her since I was a young child. And You know, I had been vegan for quite some time. And while I was, I'm still working for the same firm uh, and getting my master's degree in environmental conservation education, I didn't feel like I was really having the impact that I wanted to. So one thing that was very powerful when I was in my undergraduate degree, my mentor, Dr. Arnim Week, would show documentary film to hit home a message in our society and sustainability class. And I've always loved film. It's my favorite medium of art. I feel like film can bridge the gap between, you know, two ideologies. I uh, get people on the same page. So I wanted to tell a, an inspiring story, an informative story for people that may not be, you know, plant-based, whether it's vegetarian or vegan, and, and hopefully show that small steps can make big impacts. And why did you choose to take the athlete route instead of just saying, here are animals, here's a planet, go vegan? I felt like taking the athlete route with from the ground up would be most effective because sports are pretty ubiquitous. You know, regardless if somebody is a professional athlete or a weekend warrior, I feel like sports is much like film. It gets people on the same page and it inspires people. So if you have these incredible athletes that are doing these, you know, elite sports, they could definitely help shape someone's viewpoint or get them, you know, to, to maybe think about their diet and the impacts that it has in a way that, Uh, Maybe a a film telling the story another way couldn't. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And I keep looking ever since people have been talking about how our country is so distant and disconnected and we can't talk to people who see things differently. Sports has got to be one of the ways to bring people together because so many people, whatever the socioeconomic group or the philosophy of life, they're all watching the Super Bowl. (laughs) So that's a big deal. So tell us a little bit about your history and how all this came to be. How did a young man from Chicago get to be a vegan anyway? So I've been an athlete my whole life. I played football. I boxed. My family's a bunch of wrestlers. And when I played football, uh, it was my dream to to play college football and, and, you know, potentially be a professional. And growing up, you know, it was time to make a decision on what sport I was going to focus on. And it was football. So I ate 
to get bigger, stronger, and faster because those are the guys that play football at the Division One level, which is the highest, the best level you can play at in college football, and then in the biggest, fastest, strongest make it in the pros. So when you know I started as a true freshman at the University of Nebraska, I was an All-American football player in high school, and when football was done, when it came to a, a crashing end, and my body kind of had time to adjust, uh, I was feeling ill. I had digestive issues. Um, I had acid reflux. I had problems going to the bathroom and um, I had headaches and I was fatigued all the time. So I just kind of dove into, you know, going to doctors, getting tests done. And and the majority of doctors, the tests were coming back inconclusive, you know, get more rest. You know, we can give you a a digestive pill, Prevacid. We'll give you, you know, more fiber through, you know, powder that isn't food. It was very strange. So I just didn't like feeling the way I was feeling and spending, you know, going to seven doctors, eight doctors, nine doctors, 10 doctors, I had had enough. So I just started looking at, you know, research, like from journals, you know, academic journals on, you know, what the best way to eat is and and what impacts diet has on health. I just, if all the variables, I hadn't covered food. So I kept coming across studies, and I'm talking 30-year studies done in London, done in England, done all over the world, showing that, you know, Western diets and those that have large amounts of meats and animal products are related to a lot of diseases that we have, um, especially in this country, from diabetes, heart disease, certain types of cancer. And I was petrified of what I was reading because when I played football, I ate 7,500 calories to 8,000 calories a day to maintain my weight. And the majority of those calories were coming from whey protein supplements, which is denatured cheese, eggs, chicken, steak. I'm talking animal products at every single meal. So I had eaten so much that I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this cold turkey because what I was reading was, I mean, 40,000 people, 50,000 people, 800,000 people. The China study, it was like, this is documented. These are this is, these are rigor, rigorous academic medical standards, and this is what is it showing. So I just cut it out from a Thursday to a Sunday. It was done. Now, that's not sustainable in the long term. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, prior to, like, reading these studies, I had never heard the word vegan. So it was like speaking Greek. I was like, what is vegan? Is that the same thing as a vegetarian? So it was difficult. And I come, I'm from Chicago. My family are all Italians. My grandma, we had a, we have a restaurant. My grandma worked through her eighties. She made the meatballs. So my family was like, wait, what? You're not going to eat meat. You're out of your mind. That'll never last. But it did. And it, and I'm, I'm very happy. I stuck with it. Oh, that's wonderful. That's great. And you know, a lot of that good old fashioned Italian food, you can do nicely without animal products. So that's Absolutely. A, <laughs> it's a good heritage. It's half of mine too. That's why I always say, I'll always use a tiny bit of olive oil. Sorry. Right. Me too. <laughs> I'm not a problem with not opposed to that. Yeah. So, okay. You made this movie. What an undertaking. So what, what, how'd you do it? What was the most challenging thing about it? What did you learn doing this? Well, uh, making this movie was probably the most expensive education I'll ever have. <laughs> um, there was a lot of things that there's, this, you know, Murphy's Law: what can go wrong will go wrong. Um, in film world, is exponentially increased by a billion. 
that's the, the I guess the biggest lesson is that if I'm ever going to make another film again, uh, I just have to be ready for everything and anything because there was just so much that happened. But uh, to take it back to the start, I was traveling for work. Um, I was in Connecticut and I had to come back to New York and I had to do my, you know, my master's program full time and juggle between writing memos, writing emails, getting on calls, going to meetings, then getting back down to Greenwich to NYU. And um, I just remember I was sitting on my bed in my apartment and I was exhausted. I was so, I was like, what am I doing? You know, like, uh, okay, so part of the reason why I wanted to work in the private sector was to try to change the game from the inside out. And, um, I just felt like I wasn't having an impact. And I felt in my master's program, I was learning, it was, you know, learning about environmental studies is doom and gloom, you know, environmental problems are not right in front of our face. So we tend to not be able to like, eh, you know, it's not going to happen in my lifetime. We kind of take that attitude. So I just remember thinking to myself, like, I am just, this is going to be my life. It's just going to be rolling up a boulder, rolling a boulder up a hill and watching it fall down. And then as I was sitting on my bed, uh, I was looking at my bookshelf and I had, you know, I had a shelf of my favorite athletes, you know, Mia Hamm, Joe Montana, Walter Payton, uh, Rocky Marciano, George St. Pierre. And then the next shelf was like my real world heroes like Jane Goodall, Wangari Mathai, Aldo Leopold, uh, John Muir. And, um, and then further down my vegan cookbooks and then further down my documentary film. So I just was sitting there and I was thinking to myself, like, Wait, how hard could it be to make a documentary film? And like, how do you marry these subjects? Because this is what inspires me. I've always had food in my life. I've always been an athlete and I'm vegan now. And I, I don't know a lot of information about vegan athletes, especially, you know, four and a half years ago. Um, you know, there's within our community, within the vegan community or the plant-based community. Yeah, we know about athletes and the athletes that are in this film, but in, in mainstream society, you know, People are like, nah, you can't be vegan and succeed. So I figured, what, what way can I tell the story where it's not going to push people away, where they're not going to get upset because they can't yet look at animal or factory farming or concentrated animal feeding operations and accept that that's how their food is processed, that's how it's raised. I wanted to do something that gave people pep in their step. I was so tired of learning about we're killing the planet, we're killing the planet, we're killing the planet. You know, after being vegan for X amount of years and understanding, wow, this is more than a food choice. This is, this impacts so many different things at once, which is sustainability at its core. You don't try to just solve one problem at a time. You have to attack everything because a problem is always evolving into something else. There's multiple entry points. So I felt like this could be something that could be done in a way where I'm looking at my bookshelf and I'm like, yeah, this gets me going. This gets me excited. I, I want to try to inspire other people. So I said, I'm going to make a movie. A documentary can't be that hard. Well, you know, that's that's the Italian bravado. Like, oh, yeah, I could do that. But at the end of the day, it was. It was tough. Essentially, I am. I have no idea what I'm doing. I had to figure out how to do a treatment of pitch, go and chase the money, uh, and then put together a team, and um, and then get in touch with everybody. So that was the, that was an interesting thing. You know, people, who are you? Do you have a website? Uh, you know, there's another movie being made with a big producer. I'm like, well, I, I really believe in this and I, I'd love it if I had the opportunity to maybe talk to your client or talk, you know, these are publicists, these are agents, whoever they were that I'm trying to pitch this to. And they're just like, you're, do you have any idea what you're getting into? No, but I think I can do it. So the challenge essentially was, Everything that kind of 
comes about when you're making a movie, whether uh, it's an airline multiple times losing $60,000 worth of gear, uh, two different airlines, and then pushing us back dates, which then affects everything else. Um, whether it's, uh, you know, that we had a, a monitor, you know, when you shoot 4K, you know, and, and you have small cameras on, you know, running gun cameras, you have to have a monitor you output it to. Well, there had been, you know, software updates, firmware updates, and we had done everything. We had checked to make sure that there were no bugs, and we were recording a crucial interview and had a deadline, and uh, I'm on the plane. You know, literally, I was leaving the same day, so I'm looking at the dailies. I'm, okay, that footage looks good. I'm transcribing the interview by hand, and uh, midway through, the interview's done. There's no no sound. And apparently, what we found out is with this particular monitor and the firmware update, this was across the board. People were just you know, calling in and writing emails in like, hey, this screwed up, (laughs) you know, a whole weekend's worth of work. Uh, So then it's like, okay, how do you adapt? That's life. You have to evolve. You have to learn. We'll go do it again. Okay, how can we spend the least amount of money? Because it's expensive to fly all these places. So there's just learning how to adapt and understand the industry. Um, That was tough because that there's a lot of gray. I'm pretty black and white. I try to be a pretty honest person. Um, not so much when it comes to distribution. Not so much when it comes to press. There's just a lot of things that, that are kind of hairy um, that I wasn't like, you know, I just figure I'll give a straight answer and I'm going to get one back. That's not how it works. So, uh, but then um, I guess one of the toughest things was the, I had a DP that started this project. There's a friend of mine and about six months in, he had just some pain, like a hernia pain. And he went to the doctor and was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer and uh, passed away three months later. Young guy, three kids, three young babies. And um, it was tough. I put the project on hold for about almost, you know, between eight and 10 months where I didn't think I was going to do it again because there's so many things that went wrong. And then that happened. It was like I was in a state of mourning, but I was still finishing my master's, still working, like there wasn't time to really process it. And then my dad, you know, you need tough love sometimes. And he was the one that kind of set me straight and kind of told me, you know, you wanted to do this. You had, you had a why you had, you have passion for this and, you know, go get it done. So, and he, he said it a little bit more aggressive than that because Italian's <laughs> alphabet consists of F words and, and certain types of words, but he, uh, he set me straight and, and it was probably the best conversation I've ever had in my life with him. Um, and I uh, got it done. That's so great. And I'll bet your dad is not vegan. He is not. You know, what's great about my dad, he's 65 years old, but it's crazy. When I went vegan, my family, even though they were confused, they still were accepting. They didn't care. They didn't mock me. They didn't talk about masculinity. They didn't do any of that stuff that I saw from people that were my peers that either I was working with or training with or other athletes that were my friends. Um, but my dad to this day, he will do vegan before six. 65 years old from the south side of Chicago, people say you can't teach, you know, people that have ingrained habits new tricks. Well, you know, he'll call me up and he'll say, hey, I'm going to go to this restaurant. What can I get off the menu that's vegan? Wow. And it's pretty incredible. That's wonderful. And I'm all for vegan allies because very often people who haven't quite made it 100% themselves are are showing how how wonderful this is and they're helping and they're assisting. So it's all good and uh, I'm grateful to everybody. And you know what else I'm grateful for? That you are right here. So we're going to go to break. We're going to be hearing from Tony Presley in a little bit and you'll still be here. Yes, ma'am. That's fun. Okay. 
Okay, everybody, stay with us through these messages, and we'll be back with soccer defender Tony Presley. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. Sometimes you might feel so alone with your problems, you don't know where to turn. We invite you to call Silent Unity, the 24-7 prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you every day at any hour. Listen and relax as you hear the beautiful words affirm the highest and best outcome for you and those you love. No matter what's going on in your life, Silent Unity is always standing by. The toll-free number is 1-800-NOW-PRAY. Have you asked your soul what it wants? Or are you so busy meeting the needs of everyone else? Family, friends, children, bosses, that you haven't checked in with the part of you that matters most? Janet Connor asked this question and received an answer. Your soul wants five things. That's it. Five things. Your soul wants to connect with source, commit to values, serve a purpose, express itself creatively, and last, it longs to create a beautiful, abundant life. Janet Connor teaches five wisdom habits that meet those needs. You can take each course separately or register for the complete Your Soul Wants Five Things series and receive $1,000 in bonuses for free. Visit JanetConnor.com and explore all five courses in her signature series, Your soul wants five things. Your soul will thank you. Somewhere, tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a 100 years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio, Words from Our Past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Right here on Unity FM. The voice of an awakening world.
Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back to the program. Just want to give a shout out to the current blog post at MainStreetVegan.net. It's about the hurricane in Puerto Rico. There are so many people there still living without power and so many wonderful vegans who are helping people learn how to cook and feed themselves without having to buy all kinds of ice and and go through even more difficulties than that situation uh, has anyway. So one of our wonderful Main Street Vegan Academy graduates, um, Cindy Negron, wrote this week, so do take a look over there. And right now, it is my great pleasure to introduce Tony Presley. Tony is a professional soccer player for the Orlando Pride, and she's been vegan for just over a year now, and she is one of the stars of From the Ground Up. Welcome, Tony. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's wonderful to talk with you. So what are some of the changes you've seen as a fairly new vegan? How has being vegan affected you and affected your performance? Um, I think right away, just, you know, some of the main differences that I've seen with this diet is just my overall health. You know, I feel um, lighter. I've lost weight on this diet, um, you know, which translate on the field. Like I feel like I'm able to move better on the field. I can last longer in a match. Um, I don't get as tired as quickly. Um, I'm sleeping better. Um, I feel like I'm recovering better as well. So I think, you know, those are a few of the, the main differences that I've noticed so far. That is so cool. Now, how did you and Santino connect for this film? Um, so I have a friend who plays professional soccer who actually went to college with Griff Whalen at Stanford. Um, and I guess they maybe were chatting about the film or whatever. I'm not really sure, but he reached out to me, Griff did, um, you know, and asked if I would be interested in speaking to Santino and being, you know, maybe being a part of the film. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like an amazing opportunity. And that's how I got in touch with Santino. Oh, that's wonderful. And what do you want people to take away from this film? That I think... I think a lot of people think veganism is kind of a scary thing, <laughs> but I think um, it gets this kind of bad rep and um, there's a stigma out there. Um, and maybe it's the way a few people out there in the vegan community push it, but um, it's a wonderful thing. It's helped so many people. Um, you know, not only can you help yourself, but you can help the environment, you can help animals. And um, I think it's just amazing. Well, I do too. And it's wonderful to hear it from you. So we're just uh, past International Women's Day and we're all, you know, those of us who are female are feeling very proud of that. So just tell us what it's like to be a female professional athlete that's still kind of a minority in the world of sports. What's your life like? Um, it's pretty, it's pretty special, especially being in a very good soccer community here in Orlando. Um, you know, I think for me personally, it's second to none. We have best facilities in the league and we're treated so well here. Um, and you know, the community supports us 110%. Fans are amazing. Um, 
and this, you know, this is just a very big community-based organization. I think I love that we're able to get out and meet young girls, and um, we have some big faces on our team, which helps as well, you know, put butts in the seat, and a lot of young girls look up to us, and I think it's a it's a nice responsibility to have, and I think, um, you know, just having this platform um, helps us reach out and give back to the community and these young girls. So I'm sure you travel a lot in, in your work. How is that with being vegan? Well, I don't find it's very difficult at all. Um, I always am prepared whenever I'm traveling, flying. I always have meals with me, and our team coordinator actually is super helpful in making sure that we you know wherever we go as a team, if we have a meal together, that there's always options for me. And um, yeah, so I haven't had any issues, and but I always do make sure that I'm prepared just in case. Good idea. Yeah. Absolutely. Speaking of uh, women soccer players, when I played football, I wore number nine for Mia Hamm. So uh, that was partial, partially why I wore the number. Just the way she carried herself and the way she impacted sports. And it wasn't like a big deal to her. It was just the way she played and the yeah. way she carried herself. Now, give the one-minute story for people who are not familiar with her. Mia Hamm essentially put... I believe, put women's soccer on the map, especially for the U.S. women's team. She's a, a legend. She's married to a baseball player named Nomar Garciaparra now, um, so that's kind of like an athletic power couple. But Mia Hamm just, she was she could play with the boys, essentially, and hold her own on the field. So it was important for me with From the Ground Up to put powerful women like Tony in the forefront because, you know, part of the reason why I wanted Tony is because of Mia Hamm. I've been a soccer fan, even though I played American football. Uh, I wanted a soccer a, a soccer player outside of Baggio Husidic. I wanted a female soccer player. And uh, Griff, who's like a, a brother to me now, uh, he was like, hey, you know, Tony Presley. And then just like looking at her and how she carried herself. And she's more quiet, uh, like Mia Hamm. But, you know, her presence is just powerful. So, uh, it was really awesome to have her in it, you know, when I looked up to a soccer player like Mia Hamm growing up. Yeah, well, that's so cool. So who are some of the other women in the film? Steph Davis. Uh, she's a world-renowned climber, base jumper, wingsuit flyer. Uh, she has just broken down barriers in her sport. Hillary Biscay is an ultra-endurance athlete. She's the 2013 Ultraman world champion. It should maybe have an ultra-woman uh, world champion. <laughs> uh, and then, um, you know, there's Heather Jo Clark, who is an MMA fighter. Uh, she fights in the UFC. Uh, and then there's Anna Ergot, who's a professional surfer, and she's an environmentalist as well. She goes around advocating for, you know, she basically, she lives her life to the fullest, but through action in a sense of, uh, as an environmentalist, she has a, a small business called Sagebrush Board Bags, where she uses all reclaimed materials or gives materials that are going to be put in a wasteland a new life in making board bags for surfers. Wow. wow. She's just incredible women across the board. It never ceases to amaze me how many vegans come up with incredible ideas. I mean, we're really like the small business powerhouse group, I think. Right. Very cool. Well, let's uh, bring this uh, party to its full quartet status by introducing someone that I have admired for such a long time. 
and that is Tori Washington. He is a six-time winning all-natural bodybuilder and holds pro cards with four distinct bodybuilding organizations. He's been vegan since 1998 and the only vegan bodybuilder ever to be featured in GQ magazine. Tori advocates for veganism to his global fan base and brings to light the plight of animals and the need to heal Mother Earth and our bodies through living the vegan lifestyle. Welcome, Tori. Well, good afternoon, everyone. How are you? (laughs) Great. This is fun. We're all over everywhere, up and down the East Coast, and Jeff, our engineer, is out there in the Midwest. So, Tori, what's your goal for veganism? Well, my goal for veganism is to honestly get it to a point where there is no such thing as veganism. It's to more of take it to a place where it just becomes is. So what I mean by that is that's what we do. It's just a way of living that is just the way it is. And anything outside of it is considered the abnormal way. I love that. I've often said that whenever I meet someone who isn't yet vegan, they're pregan. They're really vegan because the thing for me is always how much people care about animals that they can see. Right. Everybody. Oh, there's an injured pigeon. Oh, my goodness. I I need to take off work and take care of my dog. Right. That's just normal. And so if we can just get past that dissonance, I think it'll be like you say, vegan is instead of veganism. Right. So... There are a lot of documentaries now about vegan is, and uh, you're in this one and you've been in some others. So what do you see as the power of film? I think film, the power of film is, is actually pretty phenomenal because if you look at it now with social media, it's all about people being driven by what they see to affect how they feel before they think logically, right? So even though if we wanted, we wanted, if we wanted everybody to think logically, logically, most people would be vegan. But film in and of itself gives people the avenue or the, 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 the arena in which they can see something that can affect their state of being, their emotional state of being. So I think what a lot of the films that are out there helping to vegetate the world, it gives us the power to show vegan in a different light. Like Tony said earlier as I was listening – because people are scared, you know, so they could see it now and feel like, oh, it's not as bad as I thought it was. So I think the films that are coming out are able, especially from the ground up, because I've had friends who've seen the film and say, man, you know, since I've seen the film, I haven't eaten meat because I love how it was presented. It was presented in a way that it wasn't forcing it down my throat, but it made me look at it from a different light. Oh, that's wonderful. So, Tori, if I'm not mistaken, you have a really interesting background. Did you grow up vegetarian? Yes, I was raised vegetarian. My mother was under the um, the religious organization called Seven-Day Adventists. Yes. And the Seven-Day Adventists have a health message that they talk about, not to say that they all follow it, but this health message they talk about eating from the earth basically all our food all our nutrition comes from the land similar to what they the the biblical terms of the garden of eden 
Right. I've been doing a talk lately uh, for churches and some festivals that I call Assisting Isaiah, mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to, to get us back to that wonderful sort of Edenic uh, existence. Yes. So isn't that wonderful? And bless your mom for getting all this started. So yeah. tell us a little bit, Tori, about your sport of bodybuilding. You know, some people are not familiar with that or it looks strange to them. So, so give us the insider's view of the sport. <laughs> You're right. Now, as far as it looks strange, be honest with you, Victoria. The what got its rise is this freakish-looking person. Sort of, if you think about, you know, you go to when they had the circus, they had you would go see these freaks, the lady with the long mustache, or the guy who can, or whatever. The bodybuilding started because these men were able to get on stage and show off these muscles in a manner that the average person didn't see. And so it drawed a lot of attention. Now, and as we, you know, fast forwarding now, the mainstay of bodybuilding is that in order to put on this amount of muscle and amass this amount of mass, per se, you have to eat meat. Meat is the only thing that's going to provide you the adequate protein or the complete protein for which you can use to put on muscle. Now, myself, I was always intrigued by the physiques because of, you know, just being intrigued by superheroes, Superman, Wolverine, just to name a few. And I wanted to emulate that physique. And so I just started working out. Now, I didn't work out under this, the premonition that I needed to have all this protein in because I really wasn't into the protein shakes and things of that nature. But when I started to compete, I didn't think about, oh, I need to go... I need to not be vegan. I just thought it was, hey, I just eat more, train more consistently, learn to pose, and get on stage. And as I've been doing it, I've noticed that a lot of the guys who are currently doing it, a lot of them don't particularly like eating the way they're eating because it, it, it bothers them. And they feel like they just eat chicken or whatever it is too much. And when they see someone like myself or any other vegan athlete that are that is doing well on stage it gets them to reconsider their options because they're thinking, okay, if he can look like that, why can't I? And still be competitive. So the inside of bodybuilding is very much driven by the whole notion that without meat, you can't be competitive. That is utterly fascinating. So I know that bodybuilders have to do a lot of what seems to the rest of us very odd things with their diet during the time prior to a competition, after a competition, and that sort of thing. Do you find that as a vegan, you have to work harder or maybe not as hard as your omnivorous, what would you say, (laughs) competitors? I guess guess that would be um, considering what variable you're referring to. Because if if you're looking at the variable of recovery, my recovery, as Tony mentioned as well with hers, is very quick. You know, I recover very fast. So, of course, for bodybuilding, you have to tear the muscle down. And this is destroying the muscle fibers so that they build up stronger and better and hopefully in better shape and condition. So you're breaking down your muscles on a daily basis by putting a lot of, put a lot of, uh, putting a lot of stress on the muscle, albeit with either repetitions or the amount of weight you're putting onto it. And what that then tends to do is cause you to either get so tired and so sore that you aren't able to train or you recover 
quickly, like myself, I found myself recovering very fast where I can sometimes, you know, go two or three sessions in a day if I really wanted to. Um, and this, this different styles of training when it comes to being vegan, I didn't see it as, you know, any way of changing. I didn't have to change anything. I really just train about the same, if not more than someone who didn't have to consume that did consume meat per se. And it just got better as I learned more about my body and how eating fruits and vegetables can help me get better in shape for the stage because in shape for the stage is different than someone who wants to be in shape and in, in your average day-to-day activity because on shape for the stage has a certain specific look, not a cardiovascular presence. Right. So I want to ask you and also Tony and actually Santino too, as someone who did a lot of athletics at one time and probably now with a full-time job less, I just want to know how everybody works out. So Tori, let's start with you. What what's your workout schedule? Well, my workout schedule is pretty much driven by any goals, the goals that I have particularly. Like for right now, if I have certain points on my body that I want to increase or how can I say um, change, I would train that. For example, let's say my shoulders and my back and I want to widen it more. I would train it more often, two to three times a week versus one to two times a week. And that would consist of me utilizing training back, shoulders, and maybe a little bit of arms on one day, legs on another day, throwing in some upper body. Because I kind of put upper body and lower body together, but it's, it's usually two to five different body parts. And that's about five to six days a week that I train with about a day, sometimes two days worth of rest. And do you do any cardio? The cardio I do typically is for warm-up. I would typically do about five to ten minutes worth of warm-up to get the nutrients flowing, my joints lubricated, heart rate up. And now my cardio is very limited to about 20 minutes, and that's probably two to three times a day just to keep a little extra caloric burn because when you get closer to a show, I'm getting ready to compete in May, and that... A little bit of cardio is used as a tool just to facilitate any extra calories that I want to burn. And I don't necessarily need to do a lot of cardio because if I do a lot of cardio, I tend to disappear because my metabolism is very quick and I respond very fast to it. So if I were to play a game of soccer like Tony, I'd probably be 100 pounds. So, <laughs> so Tony, an entirely different sport, different goals. What's your workout schedule? So we train uh, once on the field um, almost every day, um, depending on when we have a game. Is um, So if we have a game on a Saturday, typically we would start the week off on a Monday training cycle and have like a hard day and then just kind of taper in, as we're going into the game with um, a midweek off day. Um, and then we usually lift about two times a week. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it just on the field every single day if not you know having one day off and then game day on the weekend and then um we supplement that with um our lifting twice a week that sounds like a lot to me (laughs) that's that's and what's the the um, professional lifespan of a female professional soccer player about what age do most women tend to retire i think 
you know, it's kind of sad. I think just, I feel more and more now you're seeing girls retire at such a young age because, um, you know, we're not able to make the living that we would like to, um, you know, with the pay and facilities it's still not where it should be. But I think, you know, taking, having that, um, take that aside, um, physically, I think women probably last around like, thirties, mm, I would say early thirties, I would say. Interesting. Thank you. This is such an education doing this show. I'm so lucky. Santino. Yes, ma'am. So you were a big football guy, high school, college. Now you're in New York City. How do you work out? So I, uh, I'll i strength train three times a week. Usually it'll be full body. Um, I have friends that are fighters, either boxers, kickboxers, or mixed martial artists. And usually one of them is getting ready for a fight. So I'll either go in with them, do a cardio session, uh, hit pads, hit the bags, roll on the you know the mats, whatever they need at the time. And then um, I've run a couple marathons, so I'm currently going to get into the mode of getting ready for the 2018 New York City Marathon. So uh, right now I'm running three three times a week, you know, just mixing it up, low mileage, but speed work for now. So then once it gets closer to the marathon, it'll be. Long runs, you know, 16 miles or more. Tempo runs where, you know, it's 10, 10 miles or more, but they're broken up into speed tempos throughout the workout and then track workout. So, and then all the while maintaining strength because a lot of people just think that endurance running is mainly cardio and having lung capacity, but really it's just doing thousands of single leg squats over and over again. So if I have a strong glute, strong hamstrings, then, you know, I'll be able to make it through the race unscathed. So. Yeah, that's what I do. Wow. So I ask you about the other female athletes in From the Ground Up. Who are some of the other guys? So there's uh, Baja Husinich. He's a professional soccer player for the LA Galaxy. He was just in town, actually. They played at Yankee Stadium uh, against New York FC. Um, then there's Griff Whalen. He's a professional football player. Just got signed by the Oakland Raiders. Uh, plays wide receiver. Then there's um, Cam F. Awesome. He's a... He's a boxer uh, for the U.S. men's national team. Yeah, we had him on the show. Yeah, he's from Kansas City, where uh, Unity Radio is. Yes, he is. He's not only a uh, he's not only a fighter. He's also a comedian and he's a motivational speaker yeah. as well. So he's got a full plate on all the time, and he he does his own podcast now. And then there's you know there's a few other MMA fighters, mixed martial artists: Aaron Simpson, Mac Danzig, uh, Alex Caceres. And Jake Shields. Jake Shields is also somebody that has just defied age. You know, he's getting close to 40. He's still competing in mixed martial arts. He's still a perennial top ranked competitor and he does grappling tournaments worldwide. And he keeps getting number one and number two at these tournaments. And he's incredible. You know, Jake has never eaten meat in his life. He's been, he was raised vegetarian like Tori. And one of the things that's amazing about Jake is I was talking to this, uh, this, well, well-known fighter. Um, he's also a commentator and we were talking outside of a gym in San Francisco and I was asking him who the toughest person that he had ever fought was. And, uh, he said, well, everybody that you fight is tough, but he said, there's just one guy that I didn't fight him, but I got on the mats with him and I just felt incapacitated. I felt like I couldn't do anything. And he said, it was like a cement blanket was on top of you. And I was like, well, who was this? And he's like, Jake Shields. And I was like, did you know that Jake has never had meat before? And 
this guy was like, wait, what? I'm like, yeah, he's a vegetarian. He's like, impossible, impossible. So it was pretty cool to see that. I, he didn't know what I was doing with Jake. We just happened to strike up a conversation because I had watched this guy fight. So it was pretty awesome. Yeah, that that is pretty awesome. Wow. Well, what do you think? And, and I can ask all of you this about the, the pugilistic sports and vegans. I remember years ago, I, I did a fast for world hunger with Dick Gregory in Ralph Abernathy's church in Atlanta. And he kept us all from going crazy because we weren't eating anything for seven days by having these wonderful conference calls with famous people. And a couple of nights, it was Muhammad Ali. And this was when he was still fighting and somebody called out, you know, champ, when are you going to go vegetarian? And he said, when I get out of this violent business. And at the time, that made so much sense. But now that we see all these incredible fighters who are vegans, and yet we've got this nonviolent ahimsa philosophy, how does it all come together? That's interesting. With mixed martial arts, a lot of people, what they don't understand about MMA, they see the four ounce gloves and they see brutal knockouts or they see, you know, guys getting choked or tapped out. And that's what they see. These fighters don't thirst for violence. They are artists themselves and the cage or the ring just happens to be their canvas. These are martial arts that have been practiced for thousands of years that they are doing. And it's essentially uh, you do martial arts to be at peace with yourself. First, you have to overcome yourself before you can overcome any opponent. Um, but it just happens that their business is the hurt business. That's the, how they make a living and what they're good at. Um, and I, I really, I truly believe like Jake Shields is an artist. Just his level of jujitsu and how he practices jujitsu and just what he can do on a mat with his body is absolutely incredible. But I think, you know, I wrestled, I boxed, I, I, I had to cut weight. I think that a lot of fighters are going towards vegetarian or vegan. And, and I know some that just do it in camp, in 12-week camp or 10-week camp or 8-week camp, because when when you are eating fibrous foods and plant-based foods, you don't have to really be concerned with gaining too much weight. I mean, if you're eating processed carbs and garbage, sure. But when you're eating wholesome foods, you drop weight so fast. And I think that that's, that's one of the uh, benefits for these fighters is when they're cutting weight, they're still eating and they're not killing themselves, dropping 20 pounds of water weight. They're actually doing it in increments and doing it right. And their bodies aren't as inflamed uh, from eating plants. So I think that's why we see a lot of fighters now today in eating plant-based diets. And it makes sense. Also, it may not make sense because they're in there beating up another person, but it's martial arts has to do with compassion within oneself and peace within oneself. So when you open your eyes to different things in this world, whether it be on a jujitsu mat or a judo mat or in a fight, you learn so much about yourself. These men have the choice to go in a cage they have a choice to make 155 pounds and to sign up to fight another man or, you know, if it's a woman fighting their weight class, they're not put in a cage against their will. Ah, very good point. Yeah. So I, I know, um, Tony, you've got a lot going on today. I don't want to keep you longer than uh, you want to be with us, but I would like to go back to you and just kind of get a general kind of closing statement from you about veganism, life, sport, whatever you're passionate about right now. Um, I think, you know, right now I'm just passionate about a lot of things, you know, soccer, obviously, you know, it's my uh, profession and um, I can't see myself doing anything else right now. And um, I think, you know, I'm also very, very passionate about animals and 
you know, adapting the vegan diet is just another way to um, kind of support that. And, you know, it makes me, it brings so much joy into my life. And um, it's, it's like I said before, you know, being vegan, you know, you can, you can help your health and you can help the environment, you can help animals. And I think that, I think that's so special. I think that's really cool and um, something I'm proud of. Well, we're proud of you, too. And everybody, you need to see these great people in this great movie from the ground up. And Tori, what about you? What What is just the most powerful idea in your mind right now? That's a loaded question, Victoria. <laughs> well, then, just what comes to mind? What is the most powerful idea in my mind right now? Well... I'll tell you what I'm starting to see that's actually pretty awesome is since I started to compete in 2009 and when I started that a lot, my goal wasn't to say, Hey everybody, I'm vegan. You know, this is, you know, come check me out. You know, I'm this, that and the other. But now fast forward nine years later, I see athletes from a super high level saying, Hey, Vegan is the way to go to better not only my health, but the planet, the animals, what have you. And it, I have people say, hey, man, well, you, you kind of help start this, you know, and I can I can agree or not. But it's just I'm happy to see that 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 power, that change is happening. And people from all walks of sports, athletics are seeing the positive aspect. And because they're athletes and if they're super elite athletes like you have Tony Presley and all the other athletes that are in the from the ground up it showcase it shows other people that oh man if these athletes can do it I should be able to do it if I'm just sitting at a 9 to 5 job and I'm sitting at a desk so to me it's real real the most powerful thing I, I'm glad to see right now is the change that athletes can help with making vegan is can you just uh either one of you or or both give our regular people who just want to be fit and they go to a gym and some trainer tells them well you've got to get off that crazy diet what should they say (laughs) (laughs) well first of all it's not a diet it's a lifestyle so (laughs) yeah one one of the things i tell i always say that um I don't use that word diet because I'm not ready to die yet. <laughs> I'm, here, I'm here to live. And, you know, I have had people come to me because they want to go vegan, but they're with a coach. And that coach is telling them, well, if you're going to go vegan, I don't know what to tell you. You know, that's not what, that's not something I can help you with. And then they come to me and they say, you know, I always wanted to go vegan, but my coach told me I wasn't possible. And... I always tell them, well, this is the way we can do it. And I just help them slowly make that transition and tell them that sometimes protein is overrated. And we see a lot of people believing this notion that you need to have two, two, two grams per two, two grams per pound of body weight instead of one half. (laughs) Right. Or even, I mean, and to be honest with you, I never used to do that. I never counted how much protein I had to intake and I was still able to put on muscle 
and keep muscle. So I noticed this is a, this is a notion that is just perpetuated throughout fitness and athletics to kind of keep people conditioned to believe that they need meat in order to do that because if you're going to eat go vegan, you're going to have to be concerned about too much carbohydrates because you're not going to be able to get a protein without a carbohydrate and blah, blah, blah. So Yeah, it's a blah, blah, blah. And yes. if anybody needs to see some vegan muscle, all they have to do is look you up uh, online at T-O-R-R-E Washington, com is the website, Tori Washington on Facebook. We'll put up everybody's social media on the show notes at MinStreetVegan.net. Tony is T-O-N-I underscore D-I-O-N, D-E-I-O-N on Twitter. And same thing without the uh, underscore on Instagram. And, of course, the fabulous movie. Now, tell us really fast, where can we see it? If you want to watch From the Ground Up, you can do so on iTunes, Amazon Instant Video, Google Play, or Vudu. It is available to rent or purchase. Yay. Okay. Gosh, everybody, thank you so much. You make me want to go run somewhere. <laughs> Thanks to Unity Online Radio and our engineer, Jeff Comfort. And to our listeners, God bless you. Eat your veggies. away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio, the teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on Unity FM. The voice of an awakening world. If you've ever wondered how a specific Bible verse might be interpreted metaphysically, then Interpret This is for you. In Interpret This, Unity Minister Rev. Ed Townley answers your questions about the Bible and how to apply its verses to your life with passion, depth, and spiritual insight. To submit a question or to enjoy any of his numerous metaphysical interpretations, visit unity.org and click on the Interpret This box. At Metaphysical Rock 2, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? 
A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio. The optimist sees the good in all things, builds upon the most hopeful and cheerful view of matters, and expects the best possible outcome. The pessimist, unwilling to look for the good, rarely finds it. Both optimism and pessimism are states of mind. They are attitudes, not events. The words we most often use reflect our strongly held thoughts and affect every area of our lives. If you're finding more frustration than fulfillment in your life, take a look at what you're thinking. Find something more positive to think, say, or do. Begin building a happier, more satisfying life for yourself today as you choose to look for and find the good in every person and circumstance. This Law of Life is brought to you by Unity. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts. 